Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com slash stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. You put us together in a room, get a little air conditioner noise going. Black out the windows. Good stuff you should know. Put egg crates on the walls. Yeah. Bring in a cup of water for me and like... I got nothing. Whatever. Why don't you have four beverages? Like I, I don't know. It's a weird day. What is... That is so weird. They're out of Pellegrino. Yeah. I know. I'm it's just kind of sitting here. Like I've never seen you. Without a beverage within three feet of your body. And I also am really tired of the coffee here. It's not okay. Oh, really? Oh, man. Are you drinking it right now? No, no. Water. Oh, okay. Good for you, Jack. Um, Chuck. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although it's funny, over the years when I go into restaurants, usually like some sort of uh, like an ethnic restaurant, and they ask for my name, and I say Chuck, they almost always say Jack. Oh, is that right? And I just go with it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Jack. Because what kind of person is like, no, get my name right, <laughs> right. on the little thing that you write down on my ticket. <laughs> yeah. You just grab the thin man by his lapels. Yeah, I didn't care. Uh, well, that's the perfect segue into what we're talking about today, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Jack, the death tax. That's right. One of our scintillating uh, internal revenue-centered casts. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have done These a bunch- hot. Of, like, tax-related <laughs> episodes, if you think about it. Yeah, this one, I'm surprised we haven't done this one. And actually, I didn't check. We haven't, right? I checked. We have not. Okay, good. Yeah, um, yeah but it did seem familiar here, there. But I definitely double-checked. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting, especially a lot of this will be the history of it, which basically is, we're going to war. Let's get the death tax going. Right, exactly. <laughs> the rich are getting too rich. Let's get the death tax going. Yeah. So we should probably say what the death tax is, and actually death tax, we should be saying death taxes, because there's a couple of different kinds of death taxes, and that's basically the term that's used by people who aren't in favor of death taxes. Right. To kind of make it seem like it's just a stupid idea, like you have to you have to pay a tax to die? Come on, people, snap out of it. Yeah. You know? Um, so basically you have two types of death taxes as it stands right now here in 2017. You've got, at least in the United States, you have the estate tax yeah. and you have the inheritance tax. Correct. And both of them are basically de- death taxes. Mm-hmm. The estate tax is where, um, you die, you have an estate, and mm-hmm. your estate is the total of all of the stuff you own and all the debts you have. So the first thing that happens to your estate, your debts get paid off. Sure. Uh, and then your executor gets paid off for their troubles. Yeah. Your funeral gets paid off, and then Uncle Sam's standing there with his hand out. So Josh got shot out, out of a cannon that costs 45000 Right. Take that off the top. Yeah. So Uncle Sam's standing there, and he says, hey, lay it on me, guys. I yeah. want 40% of that. That's your estate tax. Yes. Then after that, in some states, the money goes to the heirs, and then the states come along and say, it's our turn now. Right. <laughs> and, uh, because, you know, states' rights aren't what they used to be, right? And then your city comes along and they want theirs. And then. If the city comes along, you don't have to listen to them. Then your next door neighbor comes along and say, you didn't pay the neighborhood tax on that. Right. Can I have my lawnmower back? <laughs> uh, so yeah, basically, if you die in a state that has inheritance tax, you're going to pay an estate tax and an inheritance tax on your estate 
after your death. You won't care, but your heirs will. Yeah. And you may care every moment leading up to that last one. After that, you'll be fine. I think the Beatles had it right on the money there, that song. Uh, come together. <laughs> You're like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> no, Taxman. It's a great song. If you you know if you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Mm. It's very, uh, very libertarian. Yeah. Come to think of it, All right. In the background, if you play it backwards, it goes, "Who is John Galt?" <laughs> <laughs> Did we do one on backmasking? No. All right, we're going to do that one day, too. Okay. All right, so you just described the estate tax. I I described both. Okay, you said the inheritance tax? Yeah. Okay. That's the one where the state's like, can we have our cut, too? Right. Where they tax your heirs, not your estate. Yeah, like after you get the dough, yeah. then you're taxed. Uh, so you're right. Both of those together make up the death tax. And, um, well, over the years, it's been... Uh, debated both economically and philosophically. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should go back in time in the Wayback Machine oh. to ancient Egypt if we fire it up. Did you put gas in? I did. Okay. Uh, so if you, if you go back to ancient Egypt, they actually have existing, uh, papyrus with, that tells the story of men basically either trying to dodge paying a death tax or paying a death tax. Right. Two different versions of that story, I guess, <laughs> depending on who the guy was. You could tell which one you're supposed to do because the guy dodging it had it. He was in the middle of a circle with a slash through it. <laughs> That's right. Don't be this guy. Uh, and, of course, in ancient Rome, they were big on uh, big on trying to modernize everything. And, that of course, meant the tax code as well. Mm-hmm. And Caesar Augustus instituted something called the uh, Vicicina... Hereditatium. Is that right? I think so. My Roman's not what it used to be. Hereditatium. Uh, apparently that translation is 20th penny of inheritances uh, and tax secessions, legacies, and donations after death. Right. They should have called it death tax. They should have. Whoever came up with that, I couldn't find who did, but it's pretty clever. Uh, and like I said, there's long been debate, um, even in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were exemptions for close family back then. Uh, you could give away some uh, charitable donations, which right. is, you know, kind of similar to what you can do today. That's a, that's a very long-standing tradition, and yeah. it should be. I mean, like, if you want to give a bunch of money to a charity, man, there should, you, that should be unfettered. Yes. Um, and in fact, you should maybe even get a little tax break for that. Sure. As people do. At least a pat on the back from everybody <laughs> in your community. Uh, and then Pliny the Younger, not the elder beer man. Which one's the the one that's so hard to get? I think Pliny the Elder is the beer that's hard to get, right? I don't know. It might be the other way around. So there's a Pliny the Younger beer as well? There's yeah. two versions? One you can get basically all the time. The other one, like you have to stand in line for a week and a half outside of the, the brewery to get it, and they give you a you have to bring your own like bucket, right? And they fill it up, <laughs> and they make you chug it right there, and then they kick you in the butt as you're walking away. Yeah, they're doing it right. Uh, well, regardless of, I'm not sure which one. Uh, Pliny the Younger criticized this tax, and he's like, you know what you're doing? You're taking advantage of people, of these families that are distraught over the death of a loved one. Yeah, how unfair is that? I would guess that Pliny the Younger may have been rich from that quote. <laughs> I bet you you're right. Yeah. Uh, where else? We can go to England and France. Yeah. We, I mean, we jumped over several centuries. Well, yeah, sure. I don't know, though, if the Holy Roman Empire was into death taxes, but by the time we arrive in, uh, well, feudal England, that still would have been the Holy Roman Empire, I think, in the 13th century in England. By the time they founded the Magna Carta, death taxes were so unpopular that it's like one of the first clauses of the Magna Carta. Yeah. Like, you gotta lay off on the death taxes. You could do them, but not so much. I think that was the verbatim quote in the Magna Carta. Every time I hear Magna Carta, I think of uh, Johnny Dangerously. Did you see that? Uh-huh. I don't remember that. I think it's the end when they're taken, like, walking <laughs> maybe Johnny to his execution, mm-hmm. and they have the fake priest, and he's doing this fake Latin. Because <laughs> <laughs> he Magna Carta, Master Charger. <laughs> it's just so dumb. Whenever I hear Magna Carta, I think of that one Simpsons where... Marge is training to be a realtor, 
and Lisa's teaching her like that. If you if you make a song out of what you're trying to memorize, oh, you yeah. remember. She's like in twelve fifteen at Running Me, do da do da. <laughs> it's funny. There's historians out there right now going. When I hear Magna Carta, I think of the Magna Carta. Right, exactly. <laughs> Two imbeciles. You dunces. <laughs> uh, but moving on to the United States, because that's mainly kind of what we're talking about here with the death tax. Um, it was debated in Scotland, which carried over eventually into our own founding fathers, but some notable philosophers and economists. And they used to be very heavily tied, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Philosophy and economics. Yeah. I guess it still is in some circles. Yeah, I think economists like to pretend that's not the case, but I think you're right. I mean, there's a certain philosophy to it. But we talked about people like John Locke and uh, Bentham and Adam Smith before, and they've kind of remained lockstep with their principles on, on the death tax. Right. So uh, Smith and Locke were saying, no, 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 that is not the government's role to tax a person's heirs after yeah. they die. Blackstone, uh, the very famous magician, said, no, we uh, we absolutely should be taxing people's estates when they die because we want to prevent dynasties. And finally, somebody in history comes out and says it. Like that's basically the point of the estate tax. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, I think Jeremy Bentham said basically the same thing. Like, yeah, we, sh- we, like, you, like wealth should not be able to grow exponentially in a single family. That's, n- that's bad news. Yeah. And that's sort of, like you said, been the root of the philosophical debate from Blackstone to Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. saying, um, and we'll get into the, what people commonly refer uh, call the pros and cons, mm-hmm. but one of the cons is, uh, and whether or not it's, I don't know if you can prove it's true, but one of the cons mm-hmm. that people point to is you leave these kids all these millions of dollars and they're going to end up on dope. Well, or they're much less likely to be super produ- or not much, much less likely necessarily, but they're not as incentivized to be constructive contributors to society. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> That's well put. Yes. Uh, so like I said, this kind of transferred over to the founding fathers of the United States. Yeah. Because again, I mean, the U S was founded very much on enlightenment thinking. Yeah. So the guys who founded the U S were looking over to Europe and saying like, what are those guys saying right now? What do we think about that? Yeah. How does that apply here? Let's say, what are they saying over there? I don't know. I'll let you know in six months. (laughs) We'll we'll send a message on a boat. (laughs) Uh, the stamp tax of 1797, uh, and this kind of begins a long tradition of, hey, we're going to war. We need to raise some dough. Yeah, because at first they resisted the the um, death tax. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but they needed to protect the colonies, and that's expensive. Sure. So uh, to fund a war against France, a naval war, um, they said, how about a stamp tax? Which, when I was a little kid, you know, I heard of the stamp tax, and I didn't get it. Me either. Um, but basically, it was a tax on every piece of paper printed. Right. Like every kind every of document. official document. Right. And newspapers and stuff, like too. Like, if, if you had a document that you needed to file, right? Yeah. Uh, for, like, the judge to release somebody's personal effects to you, their heir. Yeah. You had to show them this document, and for the judge to release it, it had to be stamped, and you had to pay for that stamp. Yeah. So, in effect, it was a government tax, because this whole transaction couldn't happen until the government officially got its cut, and the stamp was proof that the government had gotten its cut, and the transaction transaction could proceed. Yeah, so anything from... uh an administrative letter to uh, receipts for legacies, uh, even the attorney's license. Like mm-hmm. apparently, attorneys had to pay like ten pounds powder for the wig just to get license, which is about a thousand bucks now. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm sure they passed I'll that sa- savings on to you. <laughs> I'll bet that's about. I'll bet you it costs about that much these days. You think? Probably ten grand for an attorney's license. I could see it. Does that sound about right? Sure. <laughs> They make that up pretty quickly, though. I think so. You know? Just a couple hours. A couple hours <laughs> sitting at the desk, <laughs> watching the little bird dip its beak in the right. water. Thinking about the Smurfs. I'm just kidding. Attorneys out there, we love you. <laughs> uh, Everyone does. Huh? Everyone does. Sure. Um, They did have rules back then, though, even for the stamp tax, uh, which were kind of carried out throughout the years in one way or another. Um, estates under 50 bucks were exempt, and then anything above 50 had a graduated scale of tax, right? which is still kind of what we have today. Yeah. I read this this 
post by this guy um, on, I believe, Forbes. And he, his name is Bob Rywick, and he wrote a book on death taxes. He wrote the book on death taxes? Pretty much, literally. Um, And he was saying that for most of history, there, especially the history up leading up to America, there was not a question of whether there should be a death tax or not. It was um, how much is the upper limit and what are the exemptions? Right. You know? Yeah. Or what's the minimum and what are the exemptions? That's basically it. Which is kind of where we ended up in the modern times, just sort of debating and going back and forth. Right. But even still, I mean, like right out of the gate, you know, back in Rome, we talked about how there were exceptions where if you donated to um, to like a charity. Yeah. Or here, it's like if you... Like the Boys Club of, of Rome. <laughs> right. Or um, if your estate's $50, worth $50, there's like, no one wants that. It's fine. Yeah. Even back in the early, late 18th century, that wasn't very much. Yeah. It's like exactly. $100 today. Uh, so the stamp tax was repealed in 1802 because the war ended, or at least that particular war that they were funding ended. Yeah. And they thought about it again during the War of 1812, but that war ended before they had a chance to get it through. And maybe we should take a break here (laughs) and pick up with more history. Yeah. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. So, uh, Chuck, naval war with France, funded by the Stamp Act. Death taxes go away for a while. And they came back. They actually stayed low in the United States until the Civil War. Yeah, and we should point out this, these death taxes didn't like fund entire wars. They, you know, there were many other taxes involved right. for this stuff. Right. Okay. So, and when I mean stay low, I mean like non-existent, not yes. that the rates were low. So, um, in the Civil War, death tax came about and, um, it was it was different than what had been proposed with the Stamp Act. So the people who received the inheritance were the ones who were taxed. So it was an inheritance tax, not an estate tax, right? Yeah, and it wasn't like, hey, we're going to tax these stamps, which is really kind of a roundabout way of making a death tax, estate tax. Right, exactly. This was like actual your, tax. Your uncle died. You got that money. Give yeah. us some, or we're going to break your legs. Yeah. <laughs> All those <laughs> four Italians. Right. Uh, after that, there was a, an amendment two years later where um, it wasn't just like personal effects or maybe stocks or cash or whatever, but real property came to be taxed as part of the estate as well. Yeah. And then lastly, I think in 1870 or no, as part of that 1864 amendment, there's also a gift tax. And this is a big loophole that people would take advantage of. Yeah. It's funny how like early, early on, even people were like figured out a way like, oh, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just sell my assets 
and for and, even if it's for even less money just to get it off the books. Well, to my kids or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, here's a, like my dad sold me a car once for a dollar. Nice. That's a sweet deal. Yeah. Yeah. It was all right. Did you pay him in like pennies? No. He actually <laughs> wanted the dollar. Uh, <laughs> and it ended up costing me like a lot of money in repairs and really? stuff. It was sort of not a great deal in the end. Did he say, buyer beware, chump? No. And I don't want to be, uh, look a gift horse in the mouth. It was a nice gesture. Sure. It's only, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. So let's move on, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the big loophole with that gift tax is if you want your kids to have all of your stuff and you wait until you die to pass it on to them, well, if there's an estate tax, the government's going to take a big chunk. Yeah. But if you're alive and you say, hey, kids, I'm feeling a little uh, <coughs> little over the hill. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm going to die soon. So I want you to have all of this stuff from my estate. You can have it tax-free because there is no gift tax. The government finally said in, I think, 1864, wait a minute, there's a gift tax now. Right. And uh, We see your loophole. But I think they even made it, the gift tax was still less than it was for an estate tax or an inheritance tax. Yeah, I think so. So it was still advantageous if you were a very wealthy family to pass on your estate while you were living than it was to leave it after you died. Right. But it would still be taxed. They would eventually equalize those, right? Later on, yeah. Yeah. But not for a few decades. All right. So let's, let's get into the 20th century here. Industrialization. Uh, one of the byproducts of that was it led to a concentration of wealth right. for a lot of families. <clears throat> so the government was like, all righty, see all you wealthy families out there thinking you can earn, earn all that money and keep it and pass it to your kids. Mm-hmm. And they can pass it to their kids. We want our cut. And it wasn't just the government. I, I, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure th- how much the government had to do with it, but the, there was a populist movement that arose. Yeah. That was basically like, we want our cut. And you know, Wizard of Oz was was written during that time. Frank. Uh, oh, really? Frank L. Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> was a populist. And there's a, apparently it's a is big a populist message? allegory. Yeah, oh, lots of it. Like the yellow brick road is some commentary on the gold standard. Right. The fact that it's in Kansas is um, has to do with the agrarian roots of the populist uh-huh. movement. The scarecrow is. Um, yeah. I don't know. Elvis. Sure. Something weird like that, right? Yeah. Put on some Pink Floyd. <laughs> right. So um, the, there was this big movement, and part of this big populist movement was, hey, there's a lot of really wealthy people here. Um, you guys should should stop this procession of wealth, you guys being the government. And they, they started to get there. There was an income tax instituted in uh, 1894. Yeah. I didn't realize this. I thought the first income tax came later in 1916, but they made they took a crack at it in 1894. But it was ruled unconstitutional for reasons other than um, the the fact that it was an income tax or a death tax, right? But it was ruled unconstitutional, but not because of the death tax gotcha. for different reasons. So they said, "We'll get that income tax. Don't you worry." Right. That's plenty constitutional. Just wait, just wait 20 years, <laughs> 22 years. Uh, then comes along another war, the Spanish-American War, and they instituted the War Revenue Act of 1898. And this one looked a lot like the one that we have today. Right. Well, it was an estate tax rather than an inheritance tax. Yeah, and it had familiar exemptions. Uh, this time, uh, mm-hmm. under 10000 left to a spouse was uh, fell under the exemption. And uh, the rate of tax depended on, of course, how big your estate was and mm-hmm. then who you were giving it to. Yeah. And those are still around today in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, if you are somebody's nephew, you're probably going to pay the full bracket of taxation. Oh, if really? Does it vary according to? Uh... Yeah, according to who you are. Or if like, you're a drinking buddy, you're going to pay the full, right. the full amount. If you're a... Um, like a grandchild, you pay less than the drinking buddy, but more than the spouse. And then the spouse is usually and, and has been for a very long time. Whenever there's an exemption within the state tax, the, the spouse is usually completely left alone. There's no tax if the entire estate goes over to the spouse. So that's the current rules, too? Yeah. Boy, I, get, I need to look up drinking buddy. So I got to take care of Clem. <laughs> right. Well, Clem's going to pay through the nose, I'm afraid. Oh, boy. He's not going to like that. He's really counting on me dying, right. <laughs> leaving him my podcast fortune. <laughs> uh, 
So with that one, the War Revenue Act of 1898, again, war ends. In 1901, Congress uh, repealed the tax. Yeah, which is weird. I, I kept reading that, like, what do you mean repealed the tax? When did they stop doing that? But apparently they used to institute new taxes, get the money they needed, and then they would say, right. we got enough. <laughs> now they have new Thank taxes. Thank you, everybody. And then just more new taxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this kind of marked a turn where people started to get uh, – who wrote this? Was this Jane McGrath? Jane McGrath. I remember Jane. Yeah. Uh, uh, she calls it a growing distaste for inherited wealth. Mm-hmm. And it started to kind of pick up steam, uh, most notably um, in the f- form of President Teddy Roosevelt, who was not a fan. No, he actually th- – around this time, there was another there was another big push for the income tax. Remember, it had been repealed. Yeah. And um, Roosevelt was like, I'm not sure about the income tax, but I'll tell you what is a great idea, the estate tax. Yeah. Let's get one of those in there. Um, he said, basically, our national legislators should enact a law providing for a graduated inheritance tax. The prime object should be to put a constantly increasing burden on the inheritance of those swollen fortunes, which it is certainly of no benefits to this country to perpetuate. Yeah. I mean, that kind of lays it down there. Yeah. Like, go out and make your own money, essentially. Well, yeah, and I think part of the other point um, is that really seems to apply today, if you've listened to our Dark Money episode, too. Yeah. Um, money very easily translates into political power. Now it translates into political speech, but it's always translated into political power. Yeah. And if you have more and more money just being passed along from one generation to the next, that 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 family is not just amassing more and more money, they're amassing more and more power. Yeah. And that's not good for democracies. It's good for monarchies, but not democracies. Yeah. And that's, that's what point. Roosevelt was saying. Uh so Roosevelt supported it big time. Uh it also was supported by uh Taft and Wilson. Uh but it still took a little bit of time and another war before Congress would get back on board again with another death tax. Mm-hmm. World War One? Yes, World War One. Uh, the U.S. lowered tariffs on our allies mm. and wanted to build up a stronger defense. And all of a sudden, they said, "Wait a minute, we we need dough." Yeah, those newfangled tanks aren't cheap. They're not building themselves, right? <laughs> so they they went back and said, "All right, maybe that income tax idea is a pretty good one." So they came up with the Revenue Act of 1916, and that's where the modern the modern income tax and the modern um, estate tax were born. And there's been no going back. No, there really hasn't because they were initially, apparently initially they planned on repealing it after the war and they were like, oh, this feels pretty good. I like rolling in piles of money. Yeah. So let's just keep it going. Yeah, and at this point the uh, exemption was $50,000 and had a graduated rate of 1% on amounts under 50 grand up to 10% on amounts over Five million dollars, right? It's a lot of dough back then. It's a yeah, lot of dough now. It also taxed um, real and personal property. Uh, if you transfer something at death, or even in the two years before death, yeah, that loophole. Yep, it was taxed. Um, and then the the gift tax, but there's still a loophole. See, like if you did it three years, if you transferred all of it three years before your death, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, um, you just had to live in poverty for the last three years of your life <laughs> and hope that you'd called it correctly and that it wasn't like 17 years. Right. <laughs> so in 1924, Congress said, we see what you're doing. We're coming back with that gift tax again. That was a good idea. I don't know why we ever forgot it. We lost our institutional memory, but we're putting it back in. So they put in this gift tax, and now all of a sudden it was um, not smart. to. Or it was not a, a, a loophole any longer. Yeah, and the, and the Great Depression had a lot to do with that because obviously income tax went down during the Great Depression, and they said our coffers are getting low, so we need to equalize this again. That's right. And I think the gift tax has stayed since then too, right? Yeah. It never went away. Yeah, because I, I guess it was challenged in court, and it was upheld by the Supreme Court to be constitutional, but Congress was like, ah, we'll repeal it. Yeah. And then, yeah, they brought it back, and it's been there ever since. Yeah, and here's a staggering stat. You know, we, we've talked before about past income tax and uh, how even though it might not seem like it, we've got it pretty good today compared to 
certain years. Yeah. But uh, the estate tax from uh, World War II, when they raised rates uh, in 1941 until 1977, the very top estate tax was 77%. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty high. Oh, uh, yeah. That's like Gerard Depardieu fleeing for the borders high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like you made all this dough in your life and you get to keep, your family gets to keep 23% of it. Yeah. After you die. Yeah, and give us a smile. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, they stayed that way actually for a really long time. It wasn't until. Yeah, 77. <clears throat> Yeah, it wasn't until 1977 that Congress brought that um, highest rate down from 77%, and they just brought it down to 70% then, and then um, Reagan came in and started whittling it away uh, little by little, um, and it got as far down as, I think, 35%. Yeah, that was the Tax Reform Act of 1976, mm-hmm. and another thing that came along with that was something called the GST tax, the Generation Skipping transfer tax another loophole yeah which is like oh well i'm not gonna give my fortune to my kids i'll give it to my grandkids yeah wink wink and then if you had a really good estate planner they could teach you how to leave your assets to your grandkids but make your kids the beneficiary of any interest and income arising from those assets right so both generations were taken care of tax-free right so that in 1976 they closed that loophole with the generation skipping transfer tax and grandchildren around the world cried and cried (laughs) and cried uh yeah and that's when the um well the exemption at that point in 1976 went from 60 grand to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and you know what? Let's take a little break here. I'm going to leave people in suspense. Yeah, I, I think we should because I'm starting to get excited. All right. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, Chuck, you've left us in suspense long enough. What? So that exemption rate, I said, in uh, the Tax Reform Act of 1976 went from 60 grand to 12667. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we've explained what the exemption was, right? Like, or did we not even? I, I feel like we did, but if not... Let's make it more clear. The exemption is where if you're, the value of your estate comes... And that's part of the process. Is Everybody goes in and says, this is worth this much. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yeah. not. And then they come up with the value of your estate. If that value was less than sixty grand at that point, then you're, you could transfer it to any... You could transfer it to Clem tax-free. Right. It's exempt... Below the the level of sixty grand. Okay, so super clear. So that rose to one hundred and twenty grand and change, uh, and then in the nineteen nineties, things kind of started rolling a little bit. We had this uh, a big budget surplus. <clears throat> I remember that. Yeah, the good old days. And then uh, George W. came along, and said, "You know what we're going to do? We got this big surplus. We're going to start giving it back to the uh, American people, um, and especially the wealthy American people." <laughs> and um, the the 
the threshold really started climbing. Yeah. Like it went from uh, in 2009 it had climbed to $675,000, not bad, and it jumped from 675,000 to 3.5 million dollars. Yeah, in 2009. So it went from from the 80s and of or no, I'm sorry, the 70s, 120,000 to 30 years later, three and a half million dollars. Yeah. The exemption was. Yes. That, that is quite a climb. But it, it had an even more astronomical climb from 2009 to uh, 2013. Because it went, Chuck, in the Taxpayer Relief Act. So remember, George W. came in and said, hey, it's not government's role to have a bunch of taxpayers' money. And you don't know what you're going to do with it. Give it back. Yeah. I'm the man who's going to get it back. And like you said, certain people got it back. Some other people got it back, but it was a transfer of wealth, right? Yeah. Um, Barack Obama came in and said, you know what? That was screwed up. I'm going to get some of that money back for everybody. I'm going to tax the wealthy. I'm going to get rid of these so-called Bush tax cuts, which is what they were called. Yeah. And um, he didn't at all. As a matter of fact, he signed into law in 2012 yeah. the Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012, which took the Bush tax cuts, which were, which had expired already, yeah, um, but then had been extended temporarily for two years. He took those Bush tax cuts he campaigned on getting rid of and actually enshrined them in law. And now for the indefinite future, they, the, um, the exemption is up to five million dollars for an estate. Yeah, more than that now, actually. So it must have been at least five. Well, it's indexed for inflation. Yeah. So now it, for 2016, it was four, uh, five point four five million. Right. Um, for a single individual, ten point nine for a couple. For a couple, yeah. Uh, and then um, the tax rates were set at forty percent maximum. Right, and that's after it had gone down to thirty five percent under Bush. Right. So I think that was part of the compromise. Yeah. And like, let's bring it up to 40%, but let's, let's basically make it permanent at, uh, five mil. Yeah. And there was even a year in there. This is crazy. Do you remember this? This whole back and forth, like getting rid of the Bush tax cuts, oh, yeah. what's going to happen? 2010. Yeah. And, um, in 2010, there was, I guess they f- didn't sign a paper fast enough or something, but there was no death tax in that year. So if your wealthy Aunt Gladys died, in 2010, yeah, you were you you lucked out because the very next year those uh, those cuts got restored or those those yeah. gift taxes or estate taxes got restored. And don't think that there weren't some people in 2010 that were <laughs> right. peeking in on Aunt Gladys holding a pillow in their hands. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just you sleep now. Yeah, that's not funny at all. Killing a relative for their inheritance is not funny. No, it's not. No. Certainly not in practice. So here's the deal, and we're going to get to the pros and cons in a second. But like I said, from for 2016, uh, because of inflation, five, $5.45 million mm-hmm. is the uh, lifetime exclusion amount. And they have this chart that you can basically throw out the window that says, like, if you have a taxable estate of four hundred grand, you will owe $70,000 plus 34% of 150,000 cuz you have to pay percentage on the amount in excess of the lower limit it's all mind numbing mm-hmm. if you're just a layperson right but throw that all out the door because anything under 5.45 million let's just call it 5 and a half million bucks is uh under that exclusion amount but here's the weird part because it's the United States and we can't just make things simple <laughs> Uh, it's a unified credit is how it's structured. So what? what you have to do is you have to structure it to pay on the full amount, and then they give you a tax credit back. Oh, that's just not to make okay. things convoluted. That's not okay though. You pay the full amount, and then they're like, and then we'll pay you back what you. I don't think you, you pay it. Actually, I think owe. it's just in the computation. Okay, well that's different. But it still seems just unnecessarily convoluted. Sure. Like you should just knock it off the top, All right? And see what you got left. Here's the other trick. Okay. If you have a lot of money. And we should say that this is, we do not qualify as tax experts. Oh yeah. Or if we're giving tax advice. Dude, if, if you're subject to the <laughs> estate tax and you're using our tax no, advice. No, no, no. How did you come up with that money? Yeah. Uh, the gift thing. There's an annual gift tax exemption of $14,000 per person. Oh yeah. 
So if you have three kids. That's per year. Yeah. Okay. If you have three per person per year. So mm-hmm. if you got three kids mm-hmm. and they're all three married and they have 10 kids between them. And they, they all are successful. They don't have drug habits or anything like that. <laughs> right. You can give $14,000 a year to each one of them per spouse. So that's $448,000 a year to those three kids, their three spouses and those 10 grandkids. And if you plan ahead, Way before your death, mm-hmm. you could potentially give away all your money 100% tax-free huh. by the time you die through gifts. So uh, that seems legit to me because that is clearly middle class. It's upper middle class, but that's middle class. That that cap? The $5 million? No, that gift tax. Oh, 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 yeah. That cap of fourteen grand a year. It's not going to help funnel a massive estate tax-free onto the heirs. But it does give right. a break to middle class, upper middle class, but middle class families. Well, but you would only be giving that away, though, if you were going to be above the $5 million, right? Because anything under that is exempted, so that ain't middle class. No, that's true. You're right. You know? Oh, okay. Well, that was, that was a stupid thing for me to say. <laughs> so if you're out there thinking... Uh, even with a deduction, a 40% rate is a lot of money mm-hmm. on an estate tax. Mm-hmm. They give an example here in this article. Let's say you have a $7 million estate. Right. Knock off the 5.45 million. That's 1.55 million. Okay. At 40%, that's about 620,000. So if you then look at that for the whole $7 million estate, that's only about 9%. Yeah. And actually, I saw a, a 2013 Brookings study, Tax Policy Institute, I think, study found that of in that year of all of the estates that had to pay taxes, yeah, they paid an average effective rate, what they actually paid, right, right, of sixteen point six percent. Okay, so after nothing the like forty percent, right. And um, in that same year, there's another one too. There's there's a lot of objections. We should talk about some of these objections, right? Sure. Some of the objections to this is. They're basically, they go into two tranches. One is that this kind of tax stifles investment. That it is the very wealthy and the very rich who are really the, the economic engines of America and capitalism because they, they introduce capital to the markets and that's what drives the markets and makes the economic engine hum and we're all better off as long as the wealthy are pumping money into this. Well, if we don't pump, if we don't let the rich pump more money into it, meaning the government comes along and says, your father just died, give us 40% of his of that vast estate that you just inherited. Uh-huh. Well, that's 40% that's going to Uncle Sam rather than potentially into the markets. Yeah, and also some people would say, hey, that's a tax for being successful. Well, that's the other tranche, is that it's basically morally incorrect for the government to come in and say, give us some money, wealthy person. Right. That, yeah, that it's a tax on, on success, that the government has no business taxing inter-family fortunes. Yeah. Um, and then again, that it stifles economic growth and development. Yeah. And another thing, if you're against this, someone might say is, hey, we were already taxed on that stuff to begin with. Yeah. During life. Right. So now, and not only that, but my dad inherited mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And paid an estate tax. So it's just double and triple and who knows. Depends on how long your family wealth goes back is how many times it's taxed. Yeah, because not only was it taxed as income, it could be taxed multiple times as an estate. That That's same right. estate is what you're saying, yeah. Then, of course, you, a lot of people drop the mic with, it's a wealth redistribution scheme. Right. That you're trying to take money from the wealthy and give it to the less wealthy, e.g. the poor, and um, homie don't play that. <laughs> I remember Homing the Clown. That was great. Sure. Uh, that was a great show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Living Color? Yeah. It's crazy how many things kind of like carried over and are still part of the lexicon. Homie Don't Play That. Homie Don't Play That. Two Snaps Up. Let's yeah. bring all that stuff back. Two Snaps. Um, another knock is that people say, you know what? <clears throat> this estate tax is, is less than like 1% of what the government collects annually, and they probably spend that much going after it and litigating this stuff. Because nine times out of ten, 
wealthy people are fighting this tooth and nail. Right. And, Listen, you know, it just costs too much to go get it. Right. That, and that's a, a lot of these, it turns out, are pretty disingenuous. Like, they sound right if you don't look into them. Right. But the, apparently a lot of them are not correct. Like, the idea that the, the effective tax rate is 16% or 17%, not 40%. Um, another one is that it hurts small businesses. Yeah, and farms. This is a big boogeyman with the estate tax as well. Like, that you, if you go in in a family-owned business or a family-owned farm, if the government goes in there and says, you own 40% on that just because your father died. Mm-hmm. So go sell some of the cows. Go sell a tractor, you hayseed, and give us the money. <laughs> That's going to have a really negative effect on the family farm or the family small business. Yeah, It may even cause it to go bankrupt. It may cause the farm to go under. That's not good. The government can't do that. Yeah, you hear that and you think, of course, that's awful. Right. But the facts don't bear that out, correct? Right. That same 2013 Brookings study found that in 2013, 20, 20 small businesses and farms owed any estate tax at all. And on average, those 20 small businesses and small farms yeah. that did have to pay estate tax paid an average of about 4.9% of the value of the estate. Okay. Um there's special there's special rules, especially for calculating the value of farmland for estate taxes in particular, that reduces their value right. so that the tax is inherently lesser. Right. Uh, another um, reason someone says might say that they're unfair, or I'm sorry, might say that they're fair, is what we alluded to a little bit earlier about the concentration of wealth is not a good thing, uh, not just economically, but um, when it comes to power and it's dangerous to a democratic society mm-hmm. to have um, the influencers of this country be so few and only influencers because they have so much. Right. And the, the average Joe's voice is lost yeah. in the process. Yeah, I saw somewhere somebody pointed out that the estate tax is the most progressive part of the entire U.S. tax code oh, yeah? because it truly only affects the people who actually can afford it or who are actually wealthy. It doesn't, it has no undue or disproportionate burden or any burden on, uh, people of lower socioeconomic status. Yeah. Or even middle socioeconomic status. Yeah. Something like, um, two tenths of one percent of households are subject to the estate tax in the United States this year, I think. Two, oh, really? Two tenths of one percent. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not much. Yeah. It's true. And then another one to address that, the idea that it doesn't bring in very much and the government spends more money than it, than it takes in. Oh, like fighting it? Yeah. Yeah, or fighting for it. Supposedly, I saw estimates of 200 billion. I saw one estimate of 275 billion, um, between 2017 and 2026 is how much they expect the estate tax to take in, which isn't much. It's like less than 1% of the government's, yeah. um, tax revenue. Yeah. But the the author of this one article I saw pointed out that's like the combined budgets of the FDA, the CDC, and the EPA combined. Right. So it's it's actually paying for stuff, you know. Yeah. And apparently they cost about seven percent for enforcement and administration. Gotcha. Whereas income taxes cost about fourteen percent to um, chase down deadbeats. So there's that. It's about half. Estate tax problems debunked. <laughs> you got anything else? No, I, th- I, I thought that was fairly interesting for someone who doesn't like. I go a little uh, foggy when I start talking about finance and taxes, but for this, for some reason, this one kind of interested me. Do you do your own taxes? No. Oh, I love it. No, 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 no. I love it, man. I love doing taxes. I not only do I not like it, but I would say that. I can't put a percentage on it, but having a professional involved really, really financially is beyond worthwhile. Like a thousand percent worthwhile? Yeah, for what they can save you. Oh, no, I'm sure. Like, like we're having somebody go back over my figures yeah. this year, but um, it's, and I don't like paying taxes. It's not fun, sure. but it's like this big, horrible ball. Like hair and teeth, 
And I have to like go like work into a, a usable yeah figure. You I got to turn it into the Venus, a gummy <laughs> Venus de Milo. So you take a teratoma mm-hmm. and you form that into a beautiful statue, right? With no arms, and then I cry. <laughs> Matt's taxes. Uh, if you want to know more about death taxes, type those words into the search bar at howstuffworks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, fan that found us through Delta. All right. I knew this would pay off one day. You know, we I don't know if we're still on, but for a while we were on Delta flights. We're supposed to be back on this year. Are we? Yeah. And I always kind of wondered, like, we got booted off. does flight. anyone actually discover us bored on a flight? That's what I'm saying. We now have evidence. We have one person. Awesome. So uh, Ethan lives in Los Angeles and says he found us on a Delta flight. Been a loyal listener ever since. Um, I'm sure many fans have their favorite episodes, favorite sweets, band names, ideas. Here are a few of my favorite jokes. And I didn't remember a couple of these, so I'm going to test your memory. Uh, Josh, you had one. Okay. Look at those sho- Look at these shoes. I'm the king of Rotterdam. <laughs> I have no Do you remember idea. that? No. <laughs> All right. Do you? Nope. He said he laughed for five minutes on that one. Uh, Chuck, the language of the beard. He says he's still laughing at that. In fact, anytime I need to pick me up. I scroll to the 43-minute mark of how vestigial, uh, vestigial organs work. The whole exchange is hilarious, including Josh's reaction. The joke verges on toilet humor, but doesn't quite belong in that category. So I don't remember that one. I'll have to look it up. These are arcane. I do remember this one. Chuck, uh, the runner-up is Chuck's line. When you realize that diesel fuel is named after a person, Jimmy Gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. I remember that one. I don't remember what episode it was in, though, but I do remember that. Uh, but he has a little factoid for us. Uh, he finished the Alexander Hamilton show, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, I saw, visited the Grange a couple of years ago and loved it. While there, I learned something I'm surprised you didn't mention as a testament to his character. Not only did Hamilton shun slavery, as you mentioned, he also defended Tories and British subjects as a lawyer in court. And this was only six years after the Declaration of Independence. What a guy. Wow, he really was top-notch. Yeah, that's from uh, Ethan Barbour. Thanks a lot, Ethan. Ethan Barbour or Barber? One of the two. No, it wasn't Barber. It was spelled differently. Barbour. I know. Like the hunting gear, right? I don't know. Barbour. Whatever. If you want to uh, get in touch with this like Ethan did. Ethan, right? Ethan. It's his last name that's up for grabs. Yes. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.